When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here at Seabus Super, over the next three years, we're investing $1 billion into Seabus property. Building high-quality, sustainable developments around Australia. And creating healthy long-term investments for members like me to enjoy in retirement. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, go to seabussuper.com.au for a PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. Cricket podcast with Jeff Lemon, that's me, and also with Adam Collins. Uh, another large show coming up today. We will be talking about sandpaper and vault tampering and camera Bancroft. I'm sorry. Adam, sorry. If there's anyone who doesn't want to talk about this, it's me. Done it enough, done it more than enough, but we're going to have to do it. Pete Lawler from the Oz will be joining the show to go through that with us. Uh, We'll be talking about Australia going to the West Indies, New Zealand going to England, county championships round, the dodgy Al Jazeera ball tampering, uh, match-fixing documentary. Not everything's about ball tampering. (laughs) Sometimes we think it is. A little bit of nerd pledge. And Michael Nisa, Australian squad member of many squads on the the show for a quick chat later on as well. But first of all, it's Adam feeling halfway to invincible now that you've had various chemicals jabbed into your arm. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I, I am halfway to vaccinated. It was quite an interesting experience uh, going down there yesterday. You know, you kind of get called by your birthday. Mm. So sitting in the Pfizer post-game tent, they make you sit somewhere for 15 minutes after the Pfizer mm-hmm. jab in case you 
fall over or something like that. Interestingly, like the, not the the, um, the mixed media zone at the World Cup. Exactly, <laughs> a bunch of people come up and chat to you. Exactly. All that. How, do you how do you think you went out there on the field today? <laughs> yes, it was the mixed zone of uh, of inoculations, but not if you get the AstraZeneca. They just send you straight mm. home. To, okay. to you know, but for Pfizer, there's a there's a protocol. But because everybody is of the same, you're sort of born between 1984 and 1982 or whatever, you, you see all of these people looking above their masks and you realise, fuck, I'm not young anymore because mm. everyone here looks pretty old. Therefore, by extension, mm-hmm. this is how mm-hmm. I must look to them. It's just a real leveller, uh, something like that. So that was yesterday. I went along in my um, Chris Mew 1988 Hawthorne jumper because I've got a, you know, I, I, I've got a, no, I'm not, I'm not great. A problem. I'm not great, I'm not great with needles. I've, I've never have been great. A bad experience when I was a kid, which is uh, okay. I've never quite got over. So I thought I didn't really want to have the bit of rolling up my sleeve. I don't want to be involved in the process at all. I don't want to see anything. Uh-huh. So I thought the way to get around that one step was to wear a sleeveless football jumper. So I must be the only <laughs> idiot who's rolled into a London vaccination centre wearing a, a Hawthorne football jumper. But it worked and the guy was very really good. I doubt it. I doubt it. I, I I briefly had the misfortune of being at Oktoberfest um, some years ago in, in Munich, and I tell you what, there were a lot of footy jumpers getting around, a lot of like, North Melbourne, what, what's happening here? There were Hawthorne jumpers, there was the lot. So, yeah, I'm sure others did it. Yeah, for practical purposes yesterday, I mean, I, I have wore, when I was younger, when I was a 20-year-old backpacker, and that photo that does the rounds of me uh, wearing mm-hmm. a, a Hawthorne jumper at Lord's Day 1, 05 Ashes, and <laughs> at Wimbledon that year as well. I did, and the French Open, in fact, at the French Open, of that summer. Pat Cash was playing Legends Doubles. Of course, Pat Cash's dad was the leading goal kicker for Hawthorne. I think it was in 1950. And mm-hmm. Pat himself, Pat Jr., was a um, you know, rabid Hawthorne supporter. So having had a few under my belt by that point, I ran down to the net and started belting out we're a happy team at Hawthorne when Pat Cash won <laughs> the Legends Doubles. <laughs> Oh, God. Of course you oh, did. Oh, God. Of course What's wrong did. with me? Uh. <laughs> There's a short list of things. Something I haven't raised with you that I've been meaning to is um, because we have a Final Word YouTube channel, it means that we both have to get logged into it, which means that now when I go to look something up on YouTube, I get your previous recent searches um, oh, come so up on my, on, on my computer <laughs> as well. Um, and I'll tell you what, there, there has been, you know, uh, nothing dodgy, but there's been a very humorously eclectic mix of very Collins adjacent sort of searches. Yes, which, I think um, so. <laughs> which, which Anything I plan between, to. Yeah, I was going to say, you should catalogue those. I mean, now that, I mean, what's the, I, I described it in my um, piece about Michael Nisa, mm. the Hawthorne effect where you change your behaviour when you know you're being observed. Now that mm. I know that I'm being observed, the, by that I mean Nisa, and this is a teaser for later, but doesn't really know that he's a cult hero because he doesn't have social media. An interesting part mm-hmm. of our interview later. But I feel now that I will modify my search terms when using the final <laughs> word account, knowing that you're observing me. But hopefully not. I'll try and keep it authentic. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, look, all I'll say is that like, there, there are a couple of very amusing screenshots and I, I hope to build a sort of <laughs> compendium of sorts to, um, <laughs> to, to, to share the world the, the amusement that I got out of it. So, so that's where we're at. You know, look, I've... Uh, like, like, like any good relationship, um, someone ends up looking through someone else's internet search history. <laughs> God. Um, I'm glad you left it until the show to tell me about this. I'm feeling quite anxious about what I might have. Although I'm, I'm tipping it's mostly old old grand finals and cricket uh, it, videos. It's all and, funny. It's all funny. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a... <laughs> I could, I could find some and read them to you if you want. Why not? Let, let's just fight. <laughs> Give a little teaser. Now we've come this far. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> so most recently we had th- these are the ten suggestions that pop up. <laughs> 1994 preliminary final Geelong. <laughs> sound choice. Yeah, good. I, uh, I wanted to show. <laughs> I wanted to show Rach the uh, lead shooter kick over the. I'm like, they got to watch this. You got to watch this. Got to watch this bit with Ablett at the end. <laughs> uh, Middlesex cricket, you know, for Quite obvious reasons. Reason. Yep, yep. Wayne Swan glass break. <laughs> That's also for. Um, I think that was for Rachel's benefit as well. Swanee won't like the um, referring to that, but that was after the 2011 budget when we were sitting in the ABC AM interview suite and he was asked the, the most recent year where Labor had delivered a budget surplus and that had come up in question time the day before and in a very sloppy bit of press checking, I failed to find out the actual answer. And he looks at me with daggers in the corner of the room and he didn't know the answer. Sabra Lane's probing him and then he puts his glass down and the glass smashes in the studio all over his notes and it became a bit of a story that day you know treasurer under pressure unable to name the last year that that kind of story right, and then right. when he stopped being treasurer kindly he found those notes he had them somewhere tucked away with all the ink smudged all over the page and he presented it to me as a parting gift when he um, when he was no longer the <laughs> deputy prime minister and treasurer i've got a frame somewhere in my my parents place in melbourne <laughs> um, then we have Karen McCann, two thousand and six. It was. I, I wanted to watch that moment of her running into the MCG. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can I say? It was, it's, a, it's, yep. a, it's a very special uh, uh, MCG moment on another podcast that was raised as a. Um, you know, one of the I hadn't thought about it for a long time. The, the comment, it's an MCG great. Like, Let's go back and revisit it, see whether it mm. it stacks up, and, and it does. Uh, Dimitri Mascarenas, just that, <laughs> just Dimitri Mascarenas. <laughs> what was I looking Dimmy up for? I was looking up Dimmy because last week on his social media platforms, he promoted the fact that he was on Millionaire Hot Seat last week on the Melbourne version of uh-huh. Millionaire Hot Seat, and he's playing. Well, he he's promoting the Hampshire. Um, Hawks rebrand for the T20 mm-hmm. and I was going to try and find the um, footage of him on Millionaire and play it into our Middlesex feed but unfortunately <laughs> it wasn't on YouTube Well that explains the next search result which is Millionaire Hot Seat Australia followed by <laughs> Sky Cricket Final Word Cricket Rob Belinda 2 and Radio Birdman Radios Appear <laughs> Well, there you go. There's, there's there a, go. a cross section of my um, of my interests. A snapshot. Well, good, good, <laughs> unexpectedly good intro. Well done. We didn't have much to go with on the intro. The intro today in our notes was Adam got an inoculation. The end. But you've managed mm-hmm. to find a little nugget. So well done, you. <laughs> well, um, we should go from that into uh, something a little more substantial. So let's get Pete Lawler on the line and uh, take us away there. It's the final word, and uh, we're happy to welcome to the show again uh, Pete Lawler from the Oz uh, on a week that was not as quiet as perhaps a cricket writer's week should have been in the middle of May. Welcome to the show, Pete. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me on, fellas. It's uh, an honour honor to be here. Gideon sent me on with, my, uh, with a notebook and pen and said, let's take some notes, see how they do it. The world's best. <laughs> Um, the the story that has blown up again, it, it, it's been curious in a way that it has blown up again given that all of the problems, all of the elements that people are pointing to were things that were have been problems right from the start. You know, they're, they're, it's not like there's been new information revealed but the, the old issues that Cricket Australia didn't actually deal with back in 2018 are still there and, and, and haven't gone away. Is it, I mean, were you surprised to see it flare up again with such intensity? 
Well, no, it's a bit like personality, isn't it, Jeff? If you didn't deal with it at the time, it's going to come back and bite you on the bum at some point. I looked at it and I thought it was curious how it came up, wasn't it? It was almost inadvertent because it almost seemed like uh, Bancroft stumbled his way into this one, didn't he? But what I found curious since is that he has made no effort to clarify his statement and say I've been taken the wrong way or uh, I mm. didn't mean that. He stands by what he says. And, but I, I'm still curious as to what what he meant exactly. What do you think he meant when he said that? Yeah, that, that's the curious thing because Bancroft has always been uh, a bit of a word salad kind of merchant. He's, that interview that he did with Adam Gilchrist was astonishing in how the lack of transparency, not not even through deliberate means, but just through it, it became impossible to tell what he was trying to say at the time. He's, he's got, you know, all of these ideas about forgiveness and how people view him and whether that matters to him and, and people being upset about this because they're dealing with their own problems and all these kinds of things. And so, yeah, it was – I did wonder whether he even meant what's been attributed to him in saying that it was self-evident what was happening, you know, perhaps mm. – I, I can't even really speculate what I think that he meant, but I do wonder if it meant what it's been interpreted to mean given how imprecise he's been with language right from the start of this problem. He has make it, he's made a deliberate choice to let that statement hang there and I've asked mm. the question why he has. So I think he's pretty comfortable with it. You know what I reckon? I mm. reckon he's talking about a collective responsibility. I'm always Pollyanna on this stuff. But mm. I reckon when they said they looked up on the screen and saw what he was doing, and they were shocked and didn't know. I think to a degree that is, to mostly that is true. But what he says, well, we all knew something was going on. We were, we're, we're all the Steve mm. Smiths in this. We're, hey, something's going on, but I don't want to know about it. What was always going in a way was the way they fractured over it. I know that one of the players on that evening stood up in a dressing room and it wasn't one of the accused and he said, we have to stick together on this. We need to mm. take collective responsibility for it. And in a way, this, this fallout now is because they didn't take that collective responsibility mm. at the time, isn't it? But I, I, th I used some sort of corny analogy the other day where I, I said, this is to defend some elements of the um, institution that the Warren Commission interviewed, you know, 5 million witnesses and had 888-page report and put in 26 volumes of evidence, and nobody believed them. But the Roy Commission, how many people do you say that interviewed, Jeff? Uh, My understanding was five. Yeah. Dan Bredig said it says a different number, but, you know, what I understood at the time was it was four, four players and the coach. Yeah, I, and, and I reckon, you know, it's give, give or take. Well, not might have been a couple more, but whatever. It doesn't matter. They didn't interview anybody. But the point of it is, where are the transcripts? Why don't you mm. just, like, why, why don't we pull this stuff out of the vault and say, hey, this was what was said at the time? Because it seems to me that Bancroft is saying, well, what I said on the weekend was what I said at the time. I'm going, well, mm. really? Because we don't know what you said at the time. And there's always that sense that the, that the damage was contained, was limited, and that it was a kind of classic parliamentary inquiry, which Colo would be quite familiar with. 
yeah. background. He's passed. Well, 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 and, and, that, and that's why I found the, the statement that was put out not long before we started recording quite interesting. Jeff, you talk about precision in language. That statement from the bowlers was quite precise and quite contained and I think to an extent quite instructive. And I was interested in your interpretation of them saying that on that day, at that venue, in that session, they did not know about the object that was in that player's hands. Okay. Well, okay, let, let's, let's, let's accept that as, as said for the purpose of the conversation. They wouldn't be so effusive if, if that wasn't the case. What did you make of what wasn't said in the statement? So by that I'm implying that other times, other objects, other people, other test matches, is, is, is that how you have arrived at your reporting on this? So how, how do you feel around the, yes, they're, they're, they, they feel they've been impugned about this particular incident, the, the, the idea that they're all in on it and, and they're rejecting that proposition, but that the culture of how they dealt with it, the ball at the time left a fair bit to be desired. Sure, it did. And, and, and I think I've written at some point this week, or at least I've gibbered it somewhere, that, um, that they set themselves, that cricket set itself up for a fall and particularly Australian cricket, by pretending to be holier than thou on this issue. A, there's that blanket, you know, hard but fair, never cross the line. But mm. also there was always a complete denial of any ball tampering. And not only that, a celebration to a degree or a sort of, how do you say that word, schadenfreude? Schadenfreude, I think is the correct mm. pronunciation, when anybody else got caught doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and never an admission that, you know, every team, and, and there'll be some teams say, oh, we never done it, but everywhere, everyone was ball tampering in some way. Mints, thumbnails, bottle tops, whatever. I, I can believe that that mm. South African tour became an arms race. I can believe that in that tour they panicked, that they really, my God, this is slipping away from us. We, you know, How are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? But I have heard stories, you know, from other teams as well about taping things in your fingers and doing it this way and doing it that way. Frankly, I haven't got a problem with, with most ball tampering. I don't reckon the game did. But in this situation, somebody brought a knife to a fist fight. And maybe so all the rest of the players are saying, well, mm. we were in the fight, but we didn't know he had a knife. You know, in, in a court of law, that doesn't stand up. Does it yep. stand up in cricket? I don't know. Yeah, yeah so, so, so that idea that, that they've been so precise, coming back to that word again, in their, in their statement this evening, Lawler, I mean, the very fact that they put a statement out to begin with to an extent was surprising. I, I didn't see that coming. I was a bit blindsided by that. You know, four of them together, it's unusual to see it come out the way that it came out on a player's website. I mean, do you think in, in some respects that's only going to create more of a stir, more questions rather than perhaps just having kept their counsel as, as they have to this point? No, I don't. But I have heard that I have heard people suggest what you say. I think that needed to be said. They needed right. to come out and say something. As for the precision of the words, it looked like a it looked like a statement that was was written by a Three player managers, you know, representing a group. <laughs> it was, you know, the old camel designed by a horse or whatever they say. Yeah, in those yeah. Situations. But it will always stay there. It will always be the shit on the shoe of Australian cricket. And, mm. you know, it'll always be the Lee Harvey Oswell conspiracy up until the point the cricketers say, hey, you know what? Here's the evidence from that day. Here's who yep. we interviewed. Here's what yep. they said. 
but they won't do it. But yeah. Nick Hockby said today, I haven't read the transcripts of those interviews. Now, you might go, okay, Nick's acting CEO, and maybe they're not going to be. It has been for about food. a year. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and you how, don't how get long, the keys to the, the skeleton how, closet until you're a permanent CEO. But yeah. that's another issue, isn't it? Why have they taken so long to appoint a CEO? Where's the, you know, <laughs> Cricket Australia looks like a sort of, you know, it's in a lot of limbo on this leadership mm. stuff, isn't it? It, 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 it's really put a focus on that, hasn't it? That's the secondary issue here. Hmm. Uh, who's running Cricket Australia? Who's going to step up? Who's going to be a leader? Who Who's going to own this issue and point the way ahead? Shouldn't be Tim Payne, should it? Justin Langer wasn't there. When you're talking about an arms race, I have almost never see it mentioned that the 2014 series that preceded this one was a series that was also full of ball tampering stories. Mm. A.B. de Villiers was pulled up for scratching the ball with his wicket-keeping gloves. South Africa had it reversing for the first two tests of that series. Mm. Then he was blocked by the umpires from doing that in the third test. They got no reverse swing, but Australia started mm. reversing the shit out of it in the third test match. And, you know, there, there are certainly suggestions um, that I've heard from people who know things about it that that wasn't coincidental. So by the time they came back in 2018, there was potentially, you know, there were players who were on both of those tours who who might have been mm. bringing the same mentality that this is what you have to do over on these shores but i guess what i what i want to ask you about is the weirdness of the the incongruity between ca being the board that was so performative in saying we're going to ban these players for a year we're coming down hard on it and yet when there was so much scuttlebutt um and and uh, evidence as well about dodginess in the previous 2018 test at Port Elizabeth and the first test at Durban, they refused to look at them at all. They took, they did not look at any test match before Cape Town while also saying we're going to be really strict on our players. Like they had no interest in finding out anything else other than what happened during the third test. Well, that goes back to my point, doesn't it, really, about the fact that ball tampering is is systematic and was systematic mm. and no one's ever admitted it. No, you know, well... I don't reckon there's a need to go back and examine those things to a degree as long as you go, <laughs> you nip it in the bud and, and move on from there. But you suffer the consequences of not ever owning the fact that there is systematic ball tampering by all sides in, in test cricket. And South Africa were brazen about it, weren't they? You know, Faf, when Faf got caught, remember he was in the, uh, was he, he come mm. down the escalator stairs and, and stuck the, <laughs> I, loved, mm, mm. I love Faf even when he's got a shirt on on those very rare occasions. But, you know, people if people had fessed up, it wouldn't have been such a big issue. But if Australia hadn't been so holy now, it wouldn't have been a big issue. But there was the nature of that contest, wasn't it? That post-ashes, worn out, two sides who are like, you know, like, yeah, two dogs that hate each other on the block. So whenever they get together, there's that gnashing of jaws. I don't know what it is about South Africans and Australians that upsets, that, that creates the sparks that it always does. But it always bloody does. Part of it might be the point where it is in the calendar. I'm not sure. I went and read Gunnar Gould's book today, just for a bit of a while, because uh, I'd never read that. And he said, uh, he's got the balls. Well, the balls from that match. Huh. He's got them in a bank vault in England, which is quite interesting. She's. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said him, he's... He's ignoring me. I know he's seeing my messages, but I sent him a message on WhatsApp. <laughs> I want to know more about those balls that you've got in the bank vaults in England, Gunnar. But uh, the umpires went, yeah, there wasn't much. Like, 
They never changed the ball, mm. did they? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. It was always a part of the defence, wasn't it? The balls weren't changed, therefore, you know, kind of suggesting yeah. it was amateur hour when, you know, that, that point we're debating now, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. The, I mean, the other so- element to this, Pete, is that we, we've we spent nearly three years saying a version of the same thing about, well, when it's all over, when they've yeah. all retired for international cricket, when they all write their, their accounts, their memoir, their autobiographies, whatever it is, that someone will write the story, that someone will detail in great depth what happened that afternoon afterwards and, and, and to hell with it. Whatever pact has been agreed to between the 15 or 20 people in the room that day will, will go out the window. And I think there's been an assumption that for a long time that would be David Warner. But that was offset by the fact that when he was suspended, he said absolutely nothing, handled it extremely well, made those phone calls to his teammates when he returned from his suspension in 2019, didn't do an interview in the way that Smith and Bancroft did around the Boxing Day Test match of 2018. But yet it was Warner's manager who was on the front foot big time yesterday saying that he knows the truth and the truth will set us free, as it were. Um, (laughs) uh, 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 How did you interpret that using perhaps his manager as a proxy for the principal there and and how Warner might be feeling now that Bancroft has kind of made this admission by design or otherwise? David has worked really hard, hasn't he? Uh, It was something I think I thought about when he... Got. Jeff, you said this week's been a busy week for cricket writers. So has so has the dissolution of the IPL and uh, the cricketers going over to the Maldives and starring in, epi- in an episode of I'm a Cricketer, Get Me Out of Here, or, <laughs> or Lord of the Flies, or whatever it freaking was. Been a bloody busy few weeks for footy season. I reckon David deserves a lot of credit for doing what David always does really well, and it's just knuckling down and doing what's asked of him and doing the team thing and keeping his mouth shut. I reckon um, James Erskine is kind of entertaining and a bit loose. Probably doesn't do David any favours, but he's so, in a way, he's David's manager, but he's so far from David that it doesn't reflect back on David. I don't reckon there's much coordination going on there, to be honest with you. But I reckon Cam Bancroft is definitely back on David's Christmas list, uh, Christmas card list, and definitely not going to the Bowls Cartel Christmas party. Yeah, he, <laughs> they they must be steaming about this. The idea that Cameron Bancroft as a Test cricket proposition is now over. He's finished because he's broken the sacred bond or whatever it is. I mean, of course that shouldn't be the case, but it kind of feels that way, doesn't it? Like the idea that. And I, and I think that's just wrong. If his truth is that it's self-evident that there was a there was in his eight test matches in in the side from November two thousand and seventeen through until March two thousand and eighteen, that his truth is that there was a collective understanding of what was going on with the ball, whether or not sandpaper middle session day three Newlands specifically, but across the board. And he's made that, as Jeff says, kind of like vague admission in an interview three years later. I mean, should that be a death sentence for his test career? I, I sort of feel as though the the finality of it all, the idea that, well, he's fucked now because he's broken the code, that doesn't no. feel right to me. I feel like he's had a really good season for Western Australia, really good season, mm-hmm. um, his best mm-hmm. season since everything happened. He's probably on the incline again. Whether he gets back or not, Will Pekofsky's uh, the incumbent. I say incumbent, he didn't play in Sydney, uh, sorry, in Brisbane rather, because he was injured. But you would imagine that Pekofsky, it's his shirt, so to speak, at the moment as the right-handed opener alongside alongside Warner for the time being. But 
any sort of notion that Bancroft has now done himself in by his own hand, that feels wrong to me. I don't think outsiders are necessarily excluded, but I, I think that it, it, when it comes to exclude, yeah, when it when you start to look at who goes off, oh, well, you're a bit of an outsider, you go off. So if he makes enough runs, they're all, they're all grown up enough, you would hope, think that they'll, so what? It's not like they're not going to kick in the ball in the forward pocket or, you know, hey, maybe they won't have dinner with him. But it, you forget that cricket teams are quite fractured things. They are rarely a totally harmonious environment, but generally they're professional enough to put all that aside to say, well, we've got a job to do, let's do it to the best of our ability. Um, when the stress is, when the stress, yeah, when the stress comes on, that doesn't work when they're not a harmonious environment. I guess it feels like we go around and around on this, and um, we, we don't necessarily get much closer to anything. But the the one thing that does seem conclusive is that if CA had been more willing to actually split this open at the time, then they wouldn't be dealing with it festering still today. Release the transcripts. Back in the old days, um, the uh, the the little mission statement at the front of the CA annual report talked about being transparent and accountable. And had there been some transparency at the time or more transparency, would have been a good thing. But everyone's moved on now, haven't they? Ian Roy's not mm-hmm. there. Pat Howard's not there. Mm-hmm. James Sutherland's not there. But the players are all still there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Pete, thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat with us tonight on The Final Word. That was good. Thank you very much. Just love that room. Where are you? Are you sure you're not in some sort of survivalist camp in Tennessee? <laughs> I, I never like to disclose my location in case they're listening. <laughs> you are. They might be listening. <laughs> Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. And in other things Australian cricket related that are actually related to the cricket, uh, a team of about 80 players is in line to go to the West Indies to play some white ball games. Five T20s in St Lucia, three one days in Barbados. It'd be a dream tour to go on if these were normal times and we could actually do it. And then there's uh, they're edging closer towards actually going to Bangladesh after that, considering that all the players will have been vaccinated by that point under the elite athletes stipulation or the the, the national representatives stipulation. Um, and so that, you know, a, a couple of tours potentially coming up. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. I don't think Bangladesh will happen and not for the usual reason, not because they can't be stuffed, but because... And, and by the way, there's some context here. I think that it gets conflated a little bit, Australia going to Bangladesh versus Bangladesh coming to Australia. The real crime mm. from an administrative perspective is that Bangladesh haven't been to Australia for Test cricket since 2003 and they've been back for one white ball bilateral tour since I think that was in 2011 so 10 years ago that's the real problem Mm. them coming to Oz not the other way around but I can't see how that Bangladesh league happens because that would wipe out nine marquee players from the hundred and as we know the the big three tend to look after each other and certainly have Mm. um, through the the pandemic months I suppose pandemic nearly a year and a half now, they've found mm-hmm. a way of making sure that things have been as smooth as possible for each other. Why would CA 
go to Bangladesh? I mean, they're already going to miss the start of the 100 in the Caribbean, the very start of it. But why would they deprive the ECB of these marquee players for a you know three-game, one-day series in, in Bangladesh? I, I just can't see it happening. I think they'll find a way out and, and make sure that their friends in England are looked after first and foremost. That would be my crude sort of first thought mm. on this matter. Could they potentially do both, though, and, and let the players who've already got those deals go on, under the sort of reasoning that they've already signed those deals, it's a pre-existing commitment, mm. blah, blah, and use the Bangladesh tour as a way to get some games into that next rung of players who, you know, they, they will potentially be relying on that depth when they go to the T20 World Cup in India and, and playing some white ball cricket in a subcontinental country this year would seem to be a pretty good move um, ahead yeah. of that World Cup. I think that, yeah, I think that's quite sound. But on the other hand, what if they were to lose? I think these are for World Cup Super League points. I think I'm right in saying that, those Bangladesh games. So if they were to lose those games, there would actually be real implications for um, World Cup qualification status and so forth. So I doubt they would tempt fate, especially when we're talking about, you know, Maxwell, Warner, Stark, level players we're mm. not talking about mid-range we're talking about the creme de la creme of the Australian white ball setup yeah, who have all signed but, but who are, a lot of whom often don't play I mean those players weren't in New Zealand recently for instance because they had an entire test squad taking all of the big players bar yep. Maxwell and, and Wade out of that New Zealand team so you, you could have you pretty could much it. that same team playing yeah. given that you know the, the nine who are missing uh, a lot of those would be in the test side normally anyway you're probably right I just think that well put it this way they've already said that they won't let them off national duty for the 100 that's the first mm. thing this was a a talking point 12 months ago around the uh, the Zimbabwe winter tour which was never going to happen obviously mm-hmm. but in theory had Zimbabwe came to Australia last winter for a top mm-hmm. end one day as again as part of this World Cup Super League they said that the national players would be required and they couldn't prioritise the 100 so look this is going to be an ongoing push and pull but I reckon on this occasion given how much emphasis there is on the 100 getting off to a good start i'd be surprised mm-hmm. if there wasn't a quiet conversation had with someone saying hang on just you know let's sort this out and they'll find a way through mm-hmm. that'd be my assumption but yeah mm-hmm. the first leg of it the west indies a squad of 23 nothing particularly controversial there other than the fact that manus labashane isn't part of it they made the decision that getting him out of the uk so wales specifically into mm-hmm. a caribbean and back to glamorgan again was just too difficult uh, a dosey do mm-hmm. so He's staying put. Tanvir Sanger gets another opportunity. One of, I think, four spinners have been picked in the squad. Daniel Sams has made himself unavailable, not unreasonably, given what happened with him contracting COVID at the IPL. He just wants Mm. to stay put at home. And I'm sure that won't affect his status, by the way. I reckon that he's a really decent shout to be in the the first 11 for the T20 World Cup in October if it does go ahead. So that bit will happen. I suppose eight white ball games in the space of 12 days in the Caribbean will, will be quite good fun. Australia haven't been over there for a few years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really nice part of the world and they've, they've managed to keep things relatively under control in St Lucia and Barbados Great at countries. the moment. So if you're lucky enough to be um, over that way, then get down and enjoy it. Especially the chance to go to St Lucia and Barbados for a couple of weeks. I mean, St Lucia mm. isn't a glory. I mean, yeah, but yeah, that is, that, is a, um, that is a lovely couple of countries to spend a couple of weeks in. So I don't expect there'll be many members of the media going along given the inability no. to leave Australia at the moment. But still, for the players who get over there, well, they'll, they'll have good fun after y- they finish their quarantine and so forth. You can get out of Australia as working media, but it's, going into St Lucia has a 14-day quarantine, Barbados right. has 10 days, and 
Um, it, it, if you've got money, you can do it because you're allowed to quarantine sort of in inverted commas by staying in a resort or something like that for a couple of weeks and, and you're allowed to do things within the resort. You know, you can you can do their activities and stuff and kind of have quite a nice time as long as you don't leave the actual compound. You can play beach volleyball. You can yeah. have sort of the sunset cocktails. You can... Yeah, yeah. You can, <laughs> Whatever you it is can run down resort. the sand, you know. You can play um, table tennis with all the other guests. and Yeah, yeah, fine. You can all infect each other, I suppose. But then you're allowed out into the community and then you're in the Caribbean bubble and then you can travel between the right. various islands without further quarantine. But, it, you know, it does take that two weeks of not being able to leave your accommodation beforehand. So I don't imagine there'll be much of a, a touring contingent. The Ashes schedule, it hasn't officially come out at the time of recording, but we basically know what it's going to be anyway, which is that uh, they will be not finishing in Sydney as has happened in the past, but there'll only be one test after Sydney. So Perth will come fifth, Melbourne and Sydney third and fourth with the Sydney test pushed back a few days to start on the fifth rather than the second or the third of January. And before that, Adelaide and Brisbane. And leading into that, the Afghanistan test in very late November. Yeah, Dan Cherney had this story last week. And look, I think that they've stumbled upon an excellent schedule. I reckon that um, they've missed a trick having Test cricket finish mm. at Sydney, you know, on, on the 6th or 7th of January or whatever it's been in the last 20 years or so. That, I mean, we think of Sydney as the traditional New Year's Test match, and that's fine, but it wasn't mm. the traditional end of summer end. test match that, yeah. that started in 1998-99 and even then we've had other summers where it hasn't been the final test when India uh, were here in uh, I suppose it was 7-8 and 11-12 uh, and but and of and course last year, uh, and, and indeed uh, the, the summer oh sorry 18-19 19-20 18-19 1819, mm. they did finish in Sydney, but 2021... No, but then they played test matches after that. They played Sri Lanka twice. Oh, sorry, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the point here is that that idea that Sydney's got this sacrosanct spot as the final test is kind of... It doesn't really stack up. So I saw a little bit of hand-wringing about this. So, oh, they don't get the final test of the summer. Well, mm. I think it's better that they'll more than likely... Well, they're more likely to have a, a live test match rather than mm. a dead rubber, hate that term, but... Nevertheless, that's how often these are interpreted at the end of a summer. So that's mm-hmm. good. The fact that Afghanistan have been inked in is even better news in Hobart late November. Now, yes, you could look at it cynically and say that the reason they need to get the Afghanistan test in is because the three format players or the white ball players coming in from the T20 World Cup, wherever it is, mm-hmm. whether it be UAE or India, more than likely Dubai, Abu Dhabi, won't get mm-hmm. to play shield cricket before the Ashes if they don't find a way to get that Afghanistan testing. So some Australian players like Tim Payne, Cameron Green, other test specialists will get loads of shield cricket in. They're starting the season earlier this year to accommodate that. But yeah, there'll be a group of players. So you Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, David Warner, Mitchell Stark. There'll mm-hmm. be others who don't immediately come to mind, but who are going to be in the Ashes team who won't get to play any Red Bull cricket unless they play Afghanistan in October. Well, mm. sorry, in, in November, I should say. So a great result for Cricket Tasmania, a great result for Afghanistan and for those uh, group of Australians who otherwise would be going in cold to a test series. And we saw how that didn't go so well against India last year. Mm. Well, they also need to play the Afghanistan test so that they don't owe Channel 7 $3 million. That's, yes, that's, that's true. That's the other bit <laughs> from, the, from the arbitration. So that, that's an incentive. I'd love to see one more test after Sydney. I'd like to see two, you know, uh, sort of yep. one coming into Melbourne, Melbourne, Sydney, and then two more to, to go deeper into January and give us all more to do during the day in the summer holidays. Um, but, you know, uh, it, it's, it's better than it was anyway. The Al Jazeera documentary... 
the cricket match fixing supposedly doco that came out it's like three years ago now it feels like a long long time ago but it was it it seemed pretty implausible at the time and and you and i are both fairly suspicious when it comes to you know dodgy dealings going on it's not like we have a sanitized view of of cricket it was a sport invented by crooks and gamblers and they continue to be rife within its ranks but there was a fair bit in this documentary that didn't really stack up where they were like ah this player was batting slowly in the lead up to an interval and you're like yeah it was fucking day three in a test in india like yeah no shit they were batting slowly <laughs> you know? yeah it's, it's not exactly a over 12 of a t20 but yeah there's there's been an icc statement that nobody's going to be charged with anything that was raised in the documentary because they didn't find it credible basically yeah nobody is going to emergency nobody's going to jail uh when this came out it was during the first test between england and pakistan at lords in 2018 and it's like two months after sandpaper so i suppose mm. Cynicism towards the Australian team was sort of at record high levels. Uh Uh, And even in that context, anyone who knows anything about cricket ripped the shit out of this. And we went, I think we went to town on it from memory, Jeff, in our own Mm. recordings at the time. Like, this is just farcical, what they're asserting. I remember at the time, Glenn Maxwell did a radio interview and he's like, well, they're obviously talking about me because they've blurred out my face. But see, you can tell from my arms and my bat that it's clearly me batting. And they're saying that Mm. on my way to my maiden test century at Ranchi, that I was somehow involved in a spot-fixing racket at the same time. Like, yeah. what the fuck are they on about? Um, Two for so, one. <laughs> Why not? Get yeah. the ton, get the cash. Yeah, that's right. So Alex Marshall, he's been a busy boy uh, in recent weeks. We've received a lot of mm. press statements from Alex Marshall, who's the sort of boss of integrity at the ICC, made it pretty clear that there was nothing to see here. And the subtext mm-hmm. was that it was a bunch of big-noting bookies, as so often is the case with these things, where they're just trying to talk up their own book, I suppose, and make more money. And and uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, Al Jazeera were, were roped in on it, and these things sometimes times happen where reporters and journalists who have the best intentions and are trying to do the right thing get suckered into this turgid world of of nonsense and and yes that that was the the documentary that appeared in in may 2018 and for that busy week alex marshall is going to be named our cbus super performer of the week (laughs) what is your projected total for retirement now this is a question that plagued the mind of Salman Butt among others how much are you going to have to put away for retirement Uh, well CBUS Super can help you with that in hopefully more ethical ways Uh, cbussuper.com.au slash the final word that's where you can go to find out more about superannuation you can get a product disclosure statement which will help you decide if that's the right fund for you and you can always remember the past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance, which is especially the case when you're involved in the Pakistan team circa 2010. (laughs) All right. With that done, should we play a little game? We should. We should. Very quickly. Let's play a little bit of Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge. It's the game of nerds and pledges, the game that we play with people on our patron page. They help fund the show by sending us little amounts of, of currency of their choice, but not a normal round number, a, a very specific number that for them relates in some way to cricket. And we don't know how, and we have to work out what the number means. For instance, 
The first of our numbers today comes from Aranda Jayavikrama. And you may think that name sounds familiar if you've heard <laughs> the show in the last couple of weeks. And it is because last time Aranda came up on the show, I wrote down his number wrong. And so we investigated the wrong number. And so in order to make all right with the world, I promised to bring a correct number onto the show in weeks to come. And that number is $7.70. So 770. It could be 770, could be 77.0, could be all kinds of variations. But those three numbers, 770, means something in cricket. And Adam has the task of deducing what? What I thought I would do with this is look at seven for 70s. And there's been four of those in international cricket. And the one that jumped out at me, Jeff, is that um, it's the best bowling figures of Frank Worrell in Test cricket, which Mm -hmm. really took me... I mean, I knew he bowled a little bit, but a seven-wicket bag in in Test cricket is quite something. It was against England uh, in 1957. As it turns out, he took, all told, uh, 69 Test wickets in 51 matches with his sort of left arm... Medium pace, I think, would be a generous way of describing it. Having watched mm-hmm. in the past, having watched those this was like left arm dibbly dobblies, essentially, he mm-hmm. took two five wicket hauls. The other was a six for thirty eight against Australia in nineteen fifty one at Adelaide Open. Yeah, I, I think that's the one that we've talked about. It on is, the show before, yeah, well, maybe. Well, he he bowled Australia talking out. about a, a Worrell bag. Um, yes, I, I like to think of it as left arm persuasion. You know, he, he <laughs> persuades players to get out. It's like, why don't you have a little nibble at that? Why don't you nick that one? And then they do. <laughs> yeah, he got the persuader out in Adelaide 1951 and did so again in 1957. So just looking through this, it's quite an interesting scorecard really because even though he's taken seven for 70 and bowled out England for 279, they still lost by an innings and five runs because they were bowled out Ouch. for 142 and 132. But some pretty useful wickets there. He actually opened the bowling. Uh, he bowled. 38.2 overs, nine mm-hmm. maidens, um, seven for 70, opened up with Roy Gilchrist. So, uh, and had Gary Sobers coming on first change and Sonny Ramadan coming on second change. He went wicketless in the inning. So it was one of those uh, kind of test matches there at Leeds. Hmm. So that's his seven for 70. It included Colin Cowdery, who wasn't the England captain at the time. It would have been Peter May. Right. In fact, he, um, no, he didn't get Peter May. He got, he got um, Sobers picked up May. But nevertheless, it was a very strong England team. So in 1957, they lost 3-1, uh, 3-0, sorry, having... Um, the previous time they'd been in England in 1950, that sort of drought-breaking series win, mm-hmm. remarkable series win, where they won 3-1. Uh, so 10 years later, of course, uh, Sobers died of leukaemia at age 42 mm-hmm. in 1967. As we mentioned on Storytime last week, he was one of four uh, sportsmen mm-hmm. who were commemorated with Westminster Abbey Memorial Services. But yeah. what I didn't realise, he was the first. So Colin Cowdery, and we talked about him at length uh, when he passed away in 2000. He received the full treatment at Westminster Abbey as did Leary Constantine. He died in 1971. I always assumed that Leary mm-hmm. would have died before Worrell, but it was in yeah. terms of the three cricketers who got that recognition, uh, the first of those was Sir Frank Worrell uh, when he passed away in 1967. But yes, in, in we, we all know about his batting, uh, but he could do mm-hmm. a bit with the ball as well. Seven for 70 at Leeds in 1957. And there's something quite special as well that, you know, particularly for a country that's gone through the Windrush scandal and all the rest of it that you know two of those funerals have been given to Caribbean cricketers yeah, yeah. You know, that's the first that, two that yeah. feels significant in in its own way so that is our guest for you Aranda you can let us know in the DMs on the old patron our second number is from John Trevelyan it is one pound 34 so I thought for this as as I was tasked with looking at it you know the obvious thing is to look at some innings of 
134, of which there are some interesting ones. Prithvi Shaw's Tanon debut um, that for a short time led to him having the best average in the history of Test cricket, a record now held by Curtis Patterson with 144. Craig Braithwaite made 134 in that crazy Leeds Test match in 2017, which you would remember well, Adam, when they chased 300 and plenty in the fourth innings, um, the West Indies, to win that match. Uh, It's remembered for Shy Hope making twin tons, but Craig Braithwaite made uh, 134 in the first innings and then 95 in the second. So we almost had the... Would it have been the second test in history where two players have made twin tons in the yeah, same match? The, I think what, the, Chap- the Chapels the in Chapel Brothers. In, was yeah, it I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're I right. Because we, 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 um, we had Craig Brathwaite at Lords a couple of weeks ago and um, I was looking mm. through his test record. I'm like, geez, yeah, I, I noted the same thing. Like it was very close to, to, to pair twin tons, if you like, in, in mm. the same test match. But incredible chase that it was taking place i reckon at the same time that the bow and arrow uh, was happening um at the oh, oval yeah. the crossbow the crossbow yeah. uh, and the second test between or maybe the first test between bangladesh and australia um which i was covering so there was a lot going on that that particular mm. day but <laughs> perhaps the most significant of those was um yeah the windies uh, chasing down 322 uh joe root 134 at cardiff in 2015 that was a, an ashes defining 100 when england won that first match when he Your... was dropped remember he, remember he was dropped on like remember that would have been like uh, 40 for four or something because hazelwood took wickets early yeah. on and he was put down by brad haddon before scoring if mm. that catch gets taken it's, it could be a very different i mean when you consider the rhythms of that series and that wasn't england won that test comfortably but mm. only on account of the first innings runs they made you know yeah your favorite a stoddart made 134 in 1892 in adelaide but also the, the 134 not out for mike hussey in the dodgy pakistan match in sydney in in 2010 which i thought is worth glancing at just because in our memory it's definitely very much that pakistan through that test match with Salman Butt and the team and and they dropped Hussey three times en route to his 100 and he had a big partnership with Peter Siddle of 150-odd or whatever it was. But I did go and have a look at it and, and the interesting thing is that the bloke in the News of the World sting who was claiming that he'd fix that test match, he said that they put all their bets on. They started to fix the test match when Australia were eight wickets down because at that point they were like 30 to 1 to win or whatever it was and they were... 150 odd behind and you know they were in in all sorts but all of the catches that went down off Mike Hussey went down before that so the sort of theory that he he was allowed to get to 100 doesn't really add up because the eighth wicket's when Peter Siddle comes in and they start the big partnership but Hussey had been dropped three times by then and Selman but also you know he got he got given out in the in the run chase and he reviewed the decision and had it overturned so I think if he was trying to throw the run chase, why would he, you know, wouldn't you just walk off when the umpire puts their finger up? Anyway, just thought it was curious. But, yes, yeah, Selman Butt's been he, – he's sort of trying to put himself back in the as, – as a, as a credible cricket pundit these days, even though, you know, he's the guy who captained the team that – got its best players chucked out for spot fixing. So, you know, good luck with that one, champion. He's been back this week. He's been having a blue with Michael Vaughan mm. on social... A slugging match with Michael Vaughan on social media this week. So that's a good yeah. way to get attention if Michael Vaughan's essentially, you know, mm. taking your Instagram or taking your comments and popping them on his Instagram story, which generates loads of attention, then exactly. probably helping his cause. Profile. Exactly. It's profile-building stuff, um, and, and, and that's what it's about. But so the 134 is what Hussey made. But to look at it through a different statistical lens, I thought it is also, and this may be of interest to John Trevelyan, it is the 
series bowling average of Sean Udall when he toured India in 2006. Now, granted, he only played one test match in, in the third test, got one wicket in the first innings, but then in the second, uh, in the fourth innings of the match when India were chasing, he took four for 14 to help bowl them out, started off with Tendulkar and then knocked over Dhoni and then picked up two of the tail. And so all up five wickets in the test and across the series, his average was 13.4 runs per wicket. Now, we mentioned Sean Udall some months ago, maybe it was a year ago even, on on the Statman segment when an, when I did a segment on players who got Tendulkar as their first test wicket, which Sean Udall didn't, but he did get Tendulkar as one of his eight test wickets, which I thought was notable. But guess who the first test wicket of Sean Udall was? Uh, so it's an Indian player from 2006. No, is that because he mean? played a test, he's played a couple of test matches previously. His oh. first test wicket was Selman Butt. Oh right, <laughs> <laughs> very good. And in fact, his second test wicket was also Selman Butt. So 25 percent of his career wickets were Selman Butt. <laughs> and the best part about this is that the first one was a slip catch, a big, a big loopy off break. Is Sean Udall was like six foot something, super tall, bowled yep. off spin, looped it up, big drive from the left hand to Selman Butt that hit Marcus Truscothic in the head at first slip in the forehead and then bounced up for the wicketkeeper to take the rebound. And Truscothic just laughed it off and, you know, wasn't hurt at all. And the best part about that is that when I found the clip of it on YouTube, guess who's doing the commentary? David Lloyd, <laughs> who was on this show a week ago. So if I go on YouTube now onto our account, mm-hmm. I'll see Shaggy Udall hitting Truscothic in the head will be in the search terms. Which I'll be able to yes, find it easily. You will. In fact, I think we should have a quick listen to Bumble doing that bit of commentary right now. He's taken it. He's taken it on the rebound. Salman Butt has to walk. Sean Udall has struck for England with a very slow delivery and we were talking about his quick off spinners. Well, it's a terrific piece of bowling from Sean Udall and look at the joy on his face. It's a combination catch, is this. It's a slip catch, it's a high looping delivery from Udall. And he's given Salman Butt every chance to go for the drive. Go on, have a go at that, he does. Outside edge. I'm sure it hits him straight on the head, but a good reaction catch from Geraint Jones. Wicketkeeper's catch, he'll claim it, but it comes off to Scothic. Salmon Butt has played really well for his 74, but he's on the way back, 161 for two. Hi, I'm Ian Chappell. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Jeff, we're recording this edition of The Final Word on the 18th of May, mm-hmm. which might feel like a strange time to be talking about a magazine coming out for June, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. is the etiquette. That mm-hmm. is the custom. I always found it weird mm-hmm. as a kid growing up, subscribing to magazines and thinking, wow, Inside Edge, December edition, I've, I've got it on the, on the 14th of November. That's just how it works. And so mm-hmm. it is for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, the June edition, on shelves this week as you are listening to this podcast. And what it's doing in one of 12 editions it'll have in the year of 2021, thus the name Wisdom Cricket Monthly. That's how mm-hmm. it works as well. You've got this interest, Jeff, in yep. the day when for a cricketer, everything just goes right. The one mm-hmm. special day of their career. And lo and mm-hmm. behold, that's what this edition is all about. It's about the, the golden days of a player 
nailing it. And the reason they're hooking it to this month mm-hmm. is because it's 30 years since Graham Gooch made his famous one five four not out against the West Indies at Leeds, which for a long time was considered the best innings perhaps all, of all time, according to the statisticians, in terms of degree of difficulty and all the rest of it. So that's where we start. It is. And I I am particularly interested in this kind of idea. So that's what they've done is gone and grabbed a bunch of English batting royalty, uh, as they say, David Gower, Charlotte Edwards, Mike Atherton, Kevin Peterson and Graham Gooch to talk about their their best day, the day when it really happened for them, their, mm. their mm. magnum opus, if you will. Not their Magnus Carlsen, uh, but their magnum <laughs> opus. So that's a, an interview with a, a specific theme and then they've got broader interviews with Chris Wokes, Carlos Braffitt, which I'm really interested in talking about the curse of Calcutta, as it's described. And he's coming to the blast. The good news, Carlos Brathwaite's yeah. uh, coming. To, so we're going to see him in England later in the month. Remember the name. And Shane Bond, who we were speaking about on Storytime just recently as well. So uh, lots of interviews in the mag this month. There's a big bit about Kevin O'Brien. So it's also 10 years, well, 10 years and a couple of months since his whirlwind World Cup century against England, which was the, the quickest World Cup Hundred of all time until I suppose 2015, but certainly the most important uh, for Irish cricket. There's an interview there, just kind of looking at. Is it, is it not the quickest anymore? I, I didn't. A B De Villiers. I feel like maybe it is. No, maybe it still is the quickest. De Villiers got the quickest all time. Thirty-one balls against the Windies a couple of months before that World Cup. But oh, I'm, I'm sure conflating. I'm conflating the A B De Villiers one fifty at Sydney against the Windies, which he went mm. bananas at the end. But you're almost yeah. certainly right that O'Brien's fifty ball effort remains the best. So Callum Treneman looks at how that changed everything for Irish cricket. That famous night at the Chinnaswamy in 2011 there's the county section so i love this in the previous edition the county section isn't just kind of like a the distinction here is it isn't just sort of like uh, um here is how they have gone here's who they've beaten here's who's made runs taking wickets and who they're playing next they're taking one good story from each club and writing the story like it's it's Mm. just a it's just an excuse to write one interesting or quirky angle about the club from the last month so each month you get your fill uh, there was some great stuff in the previous mag especially the piece about leicestershire which i can recommend uh the columnists have been busy andrew miller jeff has found a lovely link you know how we, well it's mostly a sam perry thing really our friend from the great cricketer who talks about how australian cricket is just a filter to talk about aussie rules football which is true sadly more often than not the not the way that andrew miller started his column this week is saying the european super league which was mm-hmm. in the last month came and went in the space of a couple mm-hmm. of days in football and how that, in many respects, has borrowed from cricket, which is nice. Yeah. It's nice to okay. see them copy us once in a while. Well, it, it might link through to... Um, I was watching a game of Australian Rules Football the other night on Seven when James Brayshaw was commentating and he, he offered the opinion that Tony Lockett was the Don Bradman of goal kicking and that, <laughs> that, you, that you, couldn't, you couldn't compare the stats of Tony Lockett to other footballers in the same way what? you couldn't compare the stats it's of Don Bradman. It's just ridiculous. Lockett to, and Don Dunstall, Lockett and Dunstall. You know, Bradman is essentially used to be said twice he's as good. Twice as good as anyone else. Lockett's record is barely distinguishable from Dunstall's, who played in exactly the okay. same era as him. That's a fucking ridiculous comparison. <laughs> and not to mention Gary Ablett, who you know, who was he, handy. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> 
It's just absolutely absurd. I was doing a podcast with Dylan Leach and Shannon Gill, friends of The Final Word, the other week, reviewing uh, the electrifying 80s, uh, that mm-hmm. two-part special documentary that was released in 1989, which I grew up watching over and over and over again. And I forgot in 1981, they shoehorn in a reference to Ian Botham running amok in the ashes during the middle of the footy season, which I thought was a, <laughs> a nice way of um, cricket Look, finding its way in footy. I, I, I think bringing it back to Wisdom Cricket Monthly, it's important to Please. know that um, Sam Stowe has had an Imaginarium piece where he's he's written the alternate timeline, my other favourite thing, about what would have <laughs> happened if Mizpahl Hark's team had won the World T20 in 2007. Uh, maybe the IPL wouldn't have happened, but Sam would like to think it would have paved the way for Pakistan global cricket dominance. Um, so hook into that as well. Yeah, these are, this is a really funny series that Sam's doing. So reimagining events and how the world would have changed. And he kind of goes through and attributes quotes to all of the various characters. So he's a, a very entertaining writer, Sam. So is Isabel Westbury. I haven't read her column yet, but I know she was fired up about uh, independence in cricket journalism. So uh, a bit of a throw forward there that once I've had a chance to read it, we'll talk more about it in future weeks. But I suspect that's going to be a no, no holds barred uh, kind of effort from Isabel. And Jeff, that's the mag. It's out this week. And it comes with a sweet, sweet discount because we have that kind of relationship. We know people who know people at Wisdom mm-hmm. Towers there at the Oval. And they let us give a discount of some 44% on the sticker price. Bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. It gets you six editions of the magazine for 10 quid mm-hmm. if you're in the UK. 15 bucks if you're in Australia or whatever that works out to be in, in your country or region. Uh, but that's mm-hmm. the benchmark. I'm sure you can work out via uh, the currency conversion calculators on the internet what it yeah. means for you. If, um, if but- we give you one number, you can turn it into another number. Exactly. You can exactly. do that. The power is in your hands. And the thing is here is that you get it on your tablet or iPad. This is the digital edition. And that is, I mean, I love collecting the magazine. I'm a collector, sure. But I read it on my iPad because the interface mm-hmm. is really user-friendly. You can sort of expand and retract really easily. You can make the text as big as you need it to be. It's super easy to flick through and, you know, uh, yeah, sure, you can get it in print copy as well. But this is why it's 44% off. It's cheap. It's easy. It's good. It's the best cricket mag in the world. Bit.ly forward slash WCMTFW. I think you should tuck in. Do yourself a favour. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. It is nice to have your company. In other bits of news, the uh, England test squad for New Zealand uh, has not been released at the time of recording, but will have been released by the time you get this show. <laughs> so it's uh, almost completely pointless us talking about well, it, and yet we're going to do so. It's, it, we, sometimes we get lucky uh, when we record. So we were lucky that the, mm-hmm. the Mitchell Stark statement that we talked about with Peter Lawler came out I don't know, 45 minutes before we hit record. But mm-hmm. we're, we're missing the England squad by about two hours and we're missing the, the formal Ashes schedule by about six hours. It happens. But mm-hmm. it's, as I understand it, relatively non-controversial. It's going to be a big squad because to an extent they're still bubbled because restrictions have lifted here, but not to the point where you mm-hmm. can have them have the players mixing uh, in the general population. So no Joffre Archer is the main news, Jeff. Uh, he has elbow soreness again. Mm-hmm. Look... Stuart Broad was talking about this yesterday, whether they might need to, a more interventionalist approach to, to Archer's elbow. They've avoided surgery so far. Mm-hmm. 
But this has been going on for a while now. I mean, you're going all the way back to South Africa, what, 16, 17, 18 months ago when this first mm-hmm. became an issue and he's rested a lot in that stretch of time. This isn't related to his most recent injury, of course, which was the, the cut that he received at home. So they need to have him fit for Brisbane, right? No matter what, all roads lead towards the ashes for, for Archer. You can win test matches against New Zealand and probably even against India at home on surfaces that'll suit seam bowlers as much as they'll suit Archer. But they, yeah, they, you they, could, you but could bowl a, Frank Worrell um, and, <laughs> and probably pick up a few <laughs> against New Zealand. But in the key point is that winning in Australia, different kettle of fish. You need to have mm. Archer absolutely fit and ready to go. So that'll be interesting to watch how they sequence through the summer with him, whether they bite the bullet and, and take some sort of action early on to give him enough chance enough of a chance to be fully fit for Brisbane whether they just let it ride and hope that things work out with more rest so that's a yeah that that's a a point of significant interest at the moment Mm -hmm. another point of uh, attention around this series is that will they play two very different bowling attacks now Mm -hmm. the fact that it's a non-world test championship series this was of course squeezed in because New Zealand were coming here they had money to recoup from last year they could get it in so they they sort of have got it in but it's funny how the world changes in the space of two years two years ago we would never be saying well will they play two different 11s against the number one ranked team in the world because it's not for points we were you know the the trophy alone would have been sufficient to have played Mm. the best team and that would have been that maybe a little bit of rotation if required but now it's a different framework around test cricket and actually i'm okay with that i like the idea that the WTC is being prioritised to such an extent that even though it's New Zealand's number one ranked team in the world, and yes, of course, they'll want to beat them and knock them off ahead of India arriving, there is a sense of, well, the more important test matches are being played for points. And I think that's kind of how it should Mm. be. That's a good thing. But it's still a test match uh, and and thus still the pressure and the opportunity there to give players like Ollie Robinson an opportunity. Do they want to get Craig Overton back into the team who's absolutely carving it up in the county championship? How do they want to manage Broad and Anderson ahead of five test matches against India? Do they want to get some miles in the legs of Chris Wokes, who has barely played since dominating Mm -hmm. last summer? Sam Curran, the all-rounder, who has been in and out, in and out. Do they want to play him at least once, given how effective he was against India three summers ago? The list goes on. Mark Wood, who bowled so well for Durham over the weekend. Ollie Stone, who was in the squad in India. So they've got so many options. They could theoretically play two different bowling attacks entirely Mm. or two different seam attacks. And I I think that would probably be okay. I don't don't see a a huge problem with that personally, even though, yes, it it won't necessarily look great not playing the best team in both games. But what constitutes the best team when you're looking at the bigger picture with so much test cricket Mm. uh, in the space of the next nine months? Well, what constitutes the best team when you've got really good options? Yeah, like yeah. You, you you can't say that a, a bowling attack of with say Chris Wokes and Mark Wood in it is not a good Test bowling attack. Exactly. Um, but but they might not make the first. You know, if you picked three for the first Test and it was Broad and Anderson and someone else, then that'd be a great bowling attack as well. But it doesn't. <laughs> they've got enough options that are actually good enough to play. It's not like we're giving a game to a development kid. It's it's like we've got options to give games to, you know, to someone like Sam Curran who has won test matches for them repeatedly in the few opportunities that he's been given. So, yeah, I, I don't mind. I've said for a while I think we should be trying to destigmatize the idea of players changing and 11s changing in cricket where we're, we're way more hysterical about it than 
in something like association football where, you know, 11s change all the time and some players are on the bench after starring on the weekend and some of them get stroppy about it and whatever, but it's not a huge deal. It's like you, you're not expected to have to play every game because you can't perform at your best every game. Okay, there, are, there aren't that many test matches and they're, they're a different proposition in terms of the relative rarity of the opportunities. But if you're also trying to have enough players who are ready to play tests, then in some ways you have to give them opportunities here and there to play tests. Yeah, and the same applies to when a player might be coming back from injury. So take Dom Sibley, who will be in this squad, but he broke his finger six weeks ago. He's played no cricket. They don't play this week, Warwickshire. I think I'm right. No, Warwickshire do play this week, but don't play the week after. So he'll get... Mm. One championship game essentially leading into a test match, which is different to mm. all the other players who've got a lot of cricket in because they've played so much of the championship in, in April and, and May. And he's still yeah, literally coming back from a broken finger. It's not as though he can have full confidence in his digits. You know, that, that takes mm. some time to, to return to your best. So if they had made a decision to have rested Sibley for this series, that wouldn't have mm-hmm. necessarily meant that his spot's in jeopardy. It just means that they're, they're looking at the, the longer-term picture, which tallies with your point there. New Zealand, 11 of the players are already in Southampton quarantining at the Aegeus Bowl. They're training in the usual way. Neil Wagner, on departure from Auckland, uh, said this is not a World Test Championship preview series. They are determined to beat England, which makes perfect sense, and that's the attitude they've taken over the last couple of years. So that will make for a really exciting series, which starts, I think I'm right in saying, on the 2nd of June. You are right. I am right. Good Good to be right. Mm. And the last point on this, Jeff, before we move on... Is it's good to be right. It's good to be right with these things. I-G-T-B-R. <laughs> uh, Stuart Broad's had a, a little, uh, a little um, frolic yesterday, and I thought it was well handled. I mean, he was always going to get asked about Ed Smith's departure, and he just kind of explained that he and Ed didn't see eye to eye, and he didn't like the way that they communicated, and he didn't sledge him. He didn't sort of, you know, get the boots in. Didn't go studs up. He just articulated in a mature mm. way, in a measured way, that two personalities, shock horror, didn't see eye to eye. Wow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that doesn't happen in, in life every single day. And he cited not playing in Barbados in 2018, it must have been, and or 19, sorry, and not playing in... Um, at the first test match last summer as examples of where he felt as though that was poorly handled by Ed Smith from a communication perspective. But equally, he's like, well, he also knows that in the future he'll be rested and left out of test matches too and and Mm. hopes that it'll be done better in the future. And I'm sure that Ed Smith will have a a response to that which will be handled in a a dignified way as well. So I quite like that because they can air Mm. their grievances publicly without it being reduced to sort of a, a tabloid slanging match. Well, yeah, if it were happening in Australia, there'd be um, certain websites writing, England test great slams, <laughs> sack selector, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> but, but that's not really what happened. And, and I enjoyed the clarification that what he was shitty about when it came to the Southampton omission wasn't that he was missing a test match. It was that there had been a public statement that said, we are going to pick our best 11 for the first test match. And then he wasn't in that. And so he was like, that was the thing that got to him where he thought, I am in the best 11 and I'm confident of it, rather than if he'd played that first one and missed the second one, he wouldn't have had that same response. But it was due to the messaging rather than the omission itself. Now, the county championship Adam, I, this is, I've been enjoying this because I get all of my news about the county championship from you now on the show. So, you know, I don't, I don't actually have to um, put my own investment of time into it. I did note that Michael Nisa took a five wicket haul in pretty quick time and is, is one of, um, there aren't many Australians having a good time in county cricket at the moment, but, but Nisa is. 
It was great, wasn't it? On the on the TV game as well. So it was all built up about Root versus Labuschagne, and Labuschagne has mm-hmm. a stinker, makes ten and naught. He's leg before wicket in the first innings, bowled in the second. You know, he's made like thirty runs in four innings. But no one's talking about Michael Nisa as usual, um, mm-hmm. and we'll come to that when we chat to him uh, soon. But yeah, five for thirty nine from fifteen overs looked fantastic at the start. He was on a hat trick early on. I think they had Yorkshire. 10 for 3 at one stage. Um, he didn't get Root. Root made 99 and um, uh, one short of 100, but back in form at the right time ahead of the test matches. But, yeah, I mean, Nisa... <laughs> I like having... that you clarified that 99 was one short of 100. Yeah, sorry Thank about you. that. Oh. I was looking for a bridge. Sometimes, when you, as you know, when, you, when you're talking on these things, you, you're trying to find your way to the next sentence. Yeah. Uh, but Nisa, uh, you know, he's taken... Five wickets here, two last week. I said on Twitter that he would take 73 wickets for the season and mm-hmm. I reckon he, you know, he's playing every game from here on in. So he's not, obviously he's not part of the Australia white ball squads. So mm. he, he's got this long run up and he's born to bowl in England, surely. Well, he's got to go to India. I mean, if there's any takeaway <laughs> from this, it's, I, I don't know to play what, but he's got to go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, he's. Um, I worked out when writing up the interview. I mean, I feel like we're 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 getting ahead of ourselves here. But we we talked about how many times he's been in the Australian squad. I worked out that he's been part of the Australian squad for twenty four consecutive Test matches without playing a match. Not Jesus. not all of them. He was formal twelfth man. But if you go back yeah. to the UAE in two thousand and eighteen when he first came into the squad, so he hmm. he he will be he'll be going to India, so to speak. But hmm. whether he plays is a different story. But I reckon that it looks a lock now, doesn't it, with the Trevor Hone stuff a couple of weeks ago but about if, rotation. If he's got one of those like hotel memberships where he earns points or whatever for stays, you know, he's, he's going to have a sweet amount of points. Oh, and the other point from that game, Jeff, is that uh, Kieran Carlson, who we were talking about the other week, uh, Glenn Finkeld uh, said that he was playing club cricket in Melbourne just a couple of years ago. Well, he made an unbeaten 88. So he's now made 552 runs at 69. Um, nice uh, so far. So he, I suppose he's within touching distance of a thousand runs by May. But I feel the final word favourite coming on there. I think he's 22 years of age, the Welshman, and I reckon he should be the one we we get behind through the the second half of the season. He also sounds pretty Swedish as well for, yes. for a Welshman. But I'm not, every time I see his name, I just think about a, a bad lager. But that's not even the same word. Um, so I don't know why why that comes up for me. But yeah, he's he, you've talked about him enough that I'm getting like osmosis favoritism about Kieran Carlson. Let's get the thousand. Let's get the thousand by May. We've got we've got 12 days left. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean I think they'll have two rounds. He need to go big. Okay. I think he might have the third most runs in the comp something like that. Okay. There's no Australians uh, at the top of that list. Unfortunately, it's getting Worse for Peter Hanscom, and it's getting worse for Middlesex, full stop. But he got an absolute snorter from Kyle Abbott, first ball. Mm. I mean, you can imagine it. You've seen enough of Kyle Abbott to know the way that, you know, he can do the things that he does. He took 11 for 85 mm-hmm. for the match. He and Muhammad Abbas took 17 between them on a very lively track at Lords. They thrashed Middlesex. They won by seven wickets, but it was inside two and a half days. And, you know, Hanscom's now made, it must be 55 runs in six innings or seven innings or something like that. He actually was flying in the second dig. He made 24 from his first 11 balls, three beautiful cover drives to the rope, and then got a shocker, a leg before decision, which was going over the top and, it's been that kind of season for him so far oh. um, at Lord. So he's, he's struggling, but it was a great win for Hampshire there. As I say, Abbott and Abbas, you know, two legitimate sort of international quality seamers with it doing everything at Lords. I was wondering about Kyle Abbott, Jeff, and not just him, but Simon Harmer as well, and a number of others. Now there's no Colpac registration. They can formally mm-hmm. play for South Africa again. How good would it be if Kaisa Rabada, Lungi Ngidi, 
So if you had an attack of Rabada, Ngidi, Abbott, Nokia, and Hama, if they're your five bowlers, suddenly South Africa become a far more a far more tricky Ooh. proposition than they are at the moment. Yeah, with I guess with the cock batting at six, you could. You know, I, I, I wouldn't fancy any of those five as a number seven, but I suppose no. Harmer could bat seven. Yeah, I well, he's, he, yeah, I think he could. But yeah, the, the proposition that this could be an interesting little opening for South African cricket. Mm. Simon Harmer did take a nine for um, this week. Just nine quietly. For, nine for he's, 80. He's, he's the Titch Freeman of our age, Simon <laughs> Harmer. <laughs> he, he's just just taking piles and piles of county yeah. wickets. He actually, it's the best I, thing that ever happened to that club. Well, he opened the bowling. He bowled the first over. I think they really, really needed the result at Chelmsford against Derbyshire because Derbyshire were last and Essex were fifth in the mm. group. They actually jumped from fifth to first in the space of a massive victory, but yeah, Harmer, nine in the first dig. And Dan Lawrence made 152 from 133 balls. We've talked about Dan Lawrence quite a bit um, mm-hmm. over the English winter, but hit six sixes. There's some crazy highlights, which I can recommend to you, Jeff, of Lawrence just teeing off and they got that win on the final day despite it being a rain-interrupted game. There was a lot of rain-interrupted fixtures around the country. One of those was between Sussex and Kent. We were all watching closely to see how Joffre Archer would go and he bowled beautifully on that first morning before that elbow soreness but he and Ollie Robinson, the other man who's likely to feature for England against uh, New Zealand, knocked over Kent early, but um, they couldn't mm-hmm. get it done uh, the second time around. And on that theme of Australians struggling uh, in England this season, Travis Head's had a pretty bad start to his campaign with Sussex. So a bit of a watch this space on that front. Last week, Jeff, we referred to the fact that Worcestershire have had five draws in a row to start the season, mm-hmm. yet were one point away from the first division <laughs> because the draws were so many points. <laughs> Uh, well, that finally that finally stopped that run. They had a loss against Durham. I saw the um, I, I saw the the clip of Scott Borthwick um, giving Chris Rushworth the the number one jersey for having yeah. become the the all time leading wicket taker. But what really caught my imagination from that was just trying to understand what the fuck Scott Borthwick was saying. <laughs> that accent is so thick. I was like, I know this is the language that I speak, but I had to watch it about three times because he uh, like. Like, I'm not going to try to do the impersonation just for a rare reprieve for the listeners, but Jesus Christ, that was that yeah. was treacle. Oh, that yeah, he's proper County Durham, uh, Scott Borthwick. Mm. You, you can't do that accent. That is the, the most Wooshy. challenging accent uh, in the Salt country, I reckon, Wooshy. in terms of dialect. But yeah, Rushworth broke the club record of Graham Onions. He was crying on the field when he took it as well. I mean, all these lovely moments in the championship, aren't mm. they? Less good news for Peter Siddle, who can't seem to take a wicket for Essex right now. He's taking them at 60 so far this season. But they've got this huge game uh, this week against Warwickshire. If they can win, it'll mean that they will they'll remain at the top of the group, but it'll push Warwickshire down. And, you know, in terms mm. of a, a, a season that's coming towards the, the pointy end before they recalibrate the groups, that's, that's really big. Also, Blockbuster this week between Gloucestershire and Somerset. I doubt we would have thought... Glockbuster? A Glockbuster. I doubt we would have thought six months ago that... Um, the Gloucestershire-Somerset game at Bristol would have had that stature, but first and second in the group. And, and there's these carryover points like the 99 World mm-hmm. Cup or the 2003 mm-hmm. World Cup. So if Gloucestershire can beat Somerset and do the double over them, it'll, they'll take all of those points into the second round and they'll probably start um, the top of Division 1. So that's a huge game. And yeah. on television... Go the freaks. Yeah, Go well, the freaks. I would, I, would love, I would love nothing more than to see Gloucestershire win it. I got a couple of notes on Patreon last week saying, hey, you incorrectly said that Gloucestershire have never won it. When they have never won the county championship, they were the, they were the country's leading county before there was such a thing as the, the county championship back in the mm-hmm. WG Grace era. But if they did go all the way, that'd be amazing. The TV game is at the Oval. Surrey are hosting Middlesex. 
both teams are fairly down the pecking order in Group 2. But yes, the third of four games that are going to be televised by Sky as we get towards the end of this run of games. And I think that's just about everything that happened with yeah, a number of other fixtures that were rained off. But another entertaining round and Michael Nisa, as we mentioned off the top, running amok uh, for Glamorgan. Well, with that county cricket vibe, let us uh, tarry no longer and go straight to Michael Nisa. Final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And we have with us Queensland, Australian and Glamorgan seamer, Michael Nisa, one of our faves on the show. G'day, Michael. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. I think the last time that I interviewed you, it was on the field at Leeds uh, before the 2019 Test match, which you didn't play. And we all said, I should play that Nisa fellow. He's looking good in the nets. He's getting Steve Smith out for laughs. And that kind of started the trend, really, where a great many of us have been saying, when are they going to give this guy an opportunity to, to wear the baggy green? I mean, facetiously to an extent, of course, because we know that you're there and thereabouts but at some level you're kind of at this point of your career like gee I really want to make that debut I'll do anything to to, to get on the park can't someone just step on a cricket ball <laughs> so yeah you, you don't want anyone to get injured but I do want to play for Australia definitely it's been a dream of mine for a long long time so to be nearly there it's it's uh, I wouldn't say frustrating it can be frustrating but at the same time I'd rather be around the group and be in the mix or they're not so it's keeping me hungry that's for sure and are you buoyed by comments from trevor hones a couple of weeks ago when he said that they did kind of miss a trick towards the end of the india series in not rotating bowlers and that with the upcoming ashes this summer that they are definitely going to have that front of mind so more in keeping with what they did in 2019 and of course that would mean you would be front and center to get a test match yeah well hopefully fingers crossed that that can happen but i was also quite disappointed that the South African test and go ahead. I know our safety is the first thing that comes to mind, but I thought maybe if I strung a couple of performances leading into that, might have been a shot, but who knows. Now, what's the next test? It's going to be in no, October, November? November, uh, I'm not yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So fingers crossed I maybe get a gig in that. Have you chatted to anyone about, like I was thinking maybe someone like Chad Sayers who spent uh, a fair bit of time in a similar position of being, you know, often being in the squad but not uh, being able to to break through. Have you chatted to anyone about that? It, it's an unusual kind of position to be in. It must be a little bit mentally difficult sometimes to keep being ready and to keep training and sort of turning up ready to play. Yeah, I, I not Chad. Particularly, but I, I have chatted to Andy Bickle. He's done 12th man a fair bit, so he's a good one to chat to. And I think when you're so close, it's easy not to try to continue to learn. I think it's the greatest chance to keep learning the game is when you're actually on the sideline and watching uh, the best in the world go about their business. So I've used it as a way to keep it learning the game because I'm, yes, I'm still, I'm quite old now, but. I, uh, I think that I still can learn plenty from the game and um, have that growth mindset for sure. Uh, Andy Bickle was brilliant with that. It feels like the perfect time to come to England in that respect. I mean, of course, you were here in 2018 on the one-day yeah. tour, 2019, playing some games, uh, some of the tour games, but obviously not a test. But it, yeah. like the timing is great for you being able to re-establish your credentials in conditions which should really suit your bowling. Yeah, hopefully. I, so far, I've loved it. I wish last year I could make it down, uh, but unfortunately couldn't. But yeah, to now have the chance to 
finally played County Cricket. I've been wanting to do it for years and years. Before this, I never qualified. So now that I've qualified and I'm finally here, uh, I'm so pumped. And to be honest, I'm so happy I'm playing for Glamorgan uh, with fellow Queensland Amanis, even though he's driving me crazy at times. But <laughs> he's, um, he's been brilliant to uh, be around and he's taught me a lot so far, even couple of weeks now he's um, been helping me out heaps um, and the team is fantastic yeah so loving it his Glamorgan story I mean it was instrumental in getting him into the Australian yeah. team in 2019 in a more permanent way I suppose you draw inspiration from that and in terms of your arrangements are you guys like living together or something like that how does it work yeah he's upstairs at the moment he's on the phone I don't know who too but uh, yeah we live in together so uh, we've been definitely talking a lot more cricket than what I do at home <laughs> normally, <laughs> but it, it's been brilliant living with him uh, so far. So yeah, it's it, hopefully who knows I can. Uh, obviously, he he went his game lifted uh, exponentially once he came back from county cricket. So hopefully, my game can lift as well and follow the same suit. When you're heading over to a, a county. Did you get any opportunity to learn much about Glamorgan or the history or, or you know, the the players they've had there or anything like that? Or are you more just dropped into it and, and you've you've got to figure it out? On oh, well, there's been a couple of, Queen, well, quite a lot of Queensland players that have come to Glamorgan. It's kind of been a little trend with Queensland players going over there. Dane back to Casper, he, he's a Glamorgan legend. And then we had Joe Burns play... Uh, I'm not sure how many games and Uzi, now Manus Charlie. So I'm just another Queenslander going over to Glamorgan, I guess. Um, but hopefully I can come back here for many years to come because it's been brilliant and working with Matty Maynard has been fantastic too. So hopefully next year I can come again. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is, is the plan now for you to try and become... It's a bit old-fashioned now, but the idea of having an international to come season after season, is that your sort of thinking that it suits you well to play here? So why not try and make it sort of like a, a second club for you uh, alongside what you do with Queensland, of course, and hopefully Australia, but you might want to settle in for a number of years at Glamorgan. Yeah, hopefully. I, I mean, I love coming over here. So if the missus wants to come over as well, they'll, they'll make things a lot easier. So that's things we'll discuss, but I, I certainly definitely want to come over and play on the winters here and just keep playing cricket because I love doing it. So every chance I get to play more cricket, I'll, I'll take it. And especially playing more red ball, I actually prefer playing red ball. So if I can play a red ball all year round, I'd, I'd love that. And in terms of those living arrangements, you mentioned living with Marnus and not with your missus at the no. moment. So is she, is she not coming out for any of this stint? Like have you made a decision just for logistical reasons that it's too hard to kind of be located yeah, in the UK right now? More logistically, she couldn't come over this year. And yeah, so it was quite hard for her to get exemption to leave Australia. Not so much coming into the country, but coming back into Oz was going to be tough. So logistically, it was just easier for this year for me to come over by myself. Marnus was the same. His partner, unfortunately, couldn't come over either. So that's hence why we're living together <laughs> and uh, we, we need some help living together. So, yeah. 
there's a lot of love for you on social media and look we're part of that granted but yeah, you get you get a lot of attention on social media from a lot of different sources so for example yeah. when you picked up your first wicket last week it kind of popped and uh, you know yeah. it would have been seen by more people than, than the average wicket that was taken in in the championship over the yeah. weekend how does that feel being a bit of a cult hero and knowing that there's a lot of people out there that have your back to be honest i didn't even know that's the case because i, I don't have any social media so i stay out of that but it's great to know that there's people back in me that's for sure it was kind of a relief taking that first week it's i haven't had that feeling for a while where you you join in a new team and you're, like, you're thinking oh shit when's this first wicket gonna come so i took a couple of overs but yeah to finally get it i was like oh that's a bit of a weight off my shoulders <laughs> and hopefully i can take more now and what is it about that red ball format that really speaks to you like why do you why do you feel such an affinity with it i know i've just from a young age i've always like i've always loved watching red ball cricket from early doors i've always test match cricket i've just loved it and um it's just the game i find it's challenging and rewarding at the same time i i feel like the hard work you have to put in it's just it feels more satisfying for me when i do well in red ball cricket for some reason not to say that I'm not taking anything away from white ball cricket. It's a bloody tough game, but I've, I find red ball cricket is just more satisfying for me. And I suppose the Duke's ball as well, we talk about different cricketers being suited to different conditions, but the ball as well, I mean, having that proud seam and, and a, a cricket ball which naturally stays shinier for longer, that must be a joy knowing you've got so much cricket ahead of you this season over here with it. Yeah, yeah. well, to be honest, the last game the ball actually didn't, swing as much as I was expecting but I, th I think uh, here with the overcast conditions and if we get the right ball we'll definitely swing a bit more here in Cardiff but it's quite a flat week at the last game which I was a bit surprised with at first um, it looked like it was going to bounce a bit more but yeah, it kind of flattened out a bit after that first day but here at home I, I think it might swing around if the weather is going to be like it is predicting to me. And just in closing, you had to get from, uh, I suppose, Sheffield Shield celebrations to Cardiff quite yep. quickly to isolate for presumably five days. Now, talk us through that transition of kind of going from playing in a high-profile Shield final, winning, yep. and then getting here as yep. quickly as you could in these very unusual circumstances. Yeah, it was a quick turnaround, that's for sure. But it wasn't too bad because we, we actually had 10 days of house quarantine where we could actually go in and out to train which it worked out quite well because used those 10 days to get over the jet lag. And by the time I was done, I was feeling fresh. So fortunately I had oh, probably a week off when I, after that shield win. So I got to spend some time with the family and with my fiance. So I felt at least a little bit more refreshed than what it was originally planned, which I was going to fly out the day after the shield final, but ended up having a, week to spend with her and the family so it was quite nice michael nisa thanks for coming and having a chat you may not be yeah. on social media but i assure you that uh, as you make your way around uh, the country over the next few months there'll be a lot of people that have your back awesome thanks guys i'm daniel norcross and you're listening to the final word with adam collins and jeff lemon it's a final word, Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins. Uh, thank you to Michael Nisa for taking the time. It's the end of the show. Thanks to Peter Lawler for also taking the time. Uh, thank you 
to I can't remember what I was going to do next, but you know, thank you to everybody. <laughs> I'm just so thank grateful. you to the this thank you to the NHS for their wonderful rollout of the vaccine that, that means that, yep. that, that a 36 year old um, can have this thing already over here. It feels pretty remarkable that mm-hmm. I think 40 percent of the population have received two injections, which highlights the incompetence mm-hmm. of the Australian government. The fact that they've only got three million done by the middle of May. Shouldn't be political, but that's going to have such wide-reaching implications for our little corner of the world with cricket, and that will be a continuing story because as we work towards an Ashes summer... Sorry, I shouldn't really go down this tangent at the end, but it's a problem. The whole way this Ashes summer is going to work is going to be affected by um, them not having been on the front foot with vaccinations. Anyway, leave Mm -hmm. that as a little bauble to dangle there. A bauble to dangle. Um, Thank you to everyone who listens and supports the show. Thanks to everyone on the Patreon page. See Bus Super Wisdom Cricket Monthly and, uh, and and Adam for keeping me company a couple of times a week. If you want to support the show, very easy. Go to patreon.com slash the final word. And then when you do that, you can play Nerd Pledge with us. Yes. We'll have a fun game. Uh, we will have a good time. We're still trying to catch Jimmy Anderson because at the end of the month, we usually lose a few people who drop off. Then we've got to get them back again. We're trying to get the 614 that is the Jay Anderson wicket tally. And we were, I think we were one away at the end of last month um, and, and then dropped back a bit. So, well, we've got two weeks. Well, actually, we've got to think this through. We've got, we've got two weeks until the, mm. the 2nd of June. Well, two and a bit weeks. And then we'll mm-hmm. lose some people. Then he's the going to start of, taking wickets. And then, But then we're going to lose some patrons on the 1st of June, just the way that yeah. when credit cards expire and we go through this process once yeah. a month, and that's fine. So we probably need a, a decent buffer before Jimmy starts that first test match. Yeah. It's important, guys. Yeah. Help us out. That's the thing. Yeah. Either that or important. you 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 get down to where they're playing and just slash his Achilles tendon. <laughs> like, there's, there's, there are only... There are two options here. One of them is more direct than the others. But look, it'd be better for all of us if people just 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 signed up, because then we can keep making the show and do fun things like travel around the world to different series and tours and give you reports from them. That is what we want to do with this show. We'll be back on the weekend with Storytime, our cricket history show, and back on the Wednesday after that for the weekly show, which this one is. That's why it happens once a week as Wisdom Cricket Monthly comes out once a month. Final word, Jeff and Adam. See you later. Bye. I had to go about.